Welcome back to the Dropping in Surf Show. My name is Rob Case. Uh, for those of you guys that don't me, uh, know me, I'm a paddling technique coach located in Northern California. And uh, today, it's quite the honor to uh, to sit down with someone who created something that I've been using since I was a kid. Uh, in fact, um, it is the uh, he's an author, uh, serious training uh, for serious athletes. Uh, Serious Training for Endurance Athletes, co-written with Rob Ray Browning, PhD, and Triathlon Freestyle Simplified, co-written with Conrad, who I want to butcher this name, Go, Go Ringer. Go Ringer, Go okay. Um, he's also been uh, an elite coach of triathletes and Nordic athletes, which is an interesting combination, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but most importantly, I think, uh, at least in, in terms of how it's affected my life, it, he is the CEO and founder of Vasa Trainer, um, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that's a, it's a, a swim and surf trainer, um, that he developed back. I want to say back in 1985, Rob, is that right? 1988 is when we started the company. All right. And, and just because we've, uh, we both have the same first name, so that's going to be easy. So, uh, tell us how you, you pronounce your last name so that we know that. Slee maker. Slee maker. Okay. See, Slee I would have butchered that one. I would have butchered yeah, that thank, one. I was thinking Slay. Mocker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's quite a, quite a resume. And like I said, I'm, I'm quite honored to sit down and talk with you because, um, I, you know, in my experience, I, I think I came across Vasa for the first time when I was 12 uh, in our club team, our club swim team. And uh, it was just in the gym and our coach was like, yeah, go hop on that if you want and get some reps in. And then since then I've always seen it in gyms. I've always seen it at the pool Um I've, I used it through college. I used it post-college. Uh, anytime I kind of couldn't get in the water or I wanted to supplement my swimming or, or paddling, I'd hop on a Vasa. So, you know, just my first question of, of all the things that you've done kind of professionally, you know, what stands out to you as the kind of the most, uh, you know, the thing you're most proud of over the years? Is it the writing of the books? Is it the creation of the Vasa? Is it training People, you know, what's like the top of your list that you look back and you're like, I, that's pretty awesome. I did that. I don't think it's necessarily um, any one of the free books or the the various Vasa products per se. It's the it's the opportunities that producing those created for meeting and engaging with some amazing people yeah. and i think that that's the those are the those are the outcomes for for the various creative uh, steps i took for for writing the books and for creating the products but it's it's meeting all the people that have been involved either you know in making those things happen or in using our products or using our books and it's especially I'm especially proud when someone tells me that using using one of the books of the products that we make one of the Vasa trainers or something like had a significant impact in their lives and then the ripple effect that took place with what they were able to do yeah, because they went on to perform better, and they stood on a platform that influenced other people in positive ways. So, to me, that's what that's what it's all about. What I'm most proud of. 
Yeah. No, that's it's a it's a very kind of teacher uh similarity in that when I work with a client, it's that the pride that you take into what you've created and what they've actually been able to accomplish. So their goals and what they've accomplished kind of feel like your goals in a sense, which is kind of neat. Yeah, no, it's it's a good feeling. And you know, I'm sure you you know this from your experience in swimming and in surfing but i mean gee our our, our voss's niche target markets and uh con customers basically are they're either um swimmers or swim coaches or triathletes triathlon coaches surfers surf coaches uh physical therapists and and trainers you know people physical trainers and boy it's rare that you run into somebody who isn't a nice person and isn't really fun to talk with. And because we're all in alignment with, with, you know, what we're trying to do individually as well as collectively. Yeah. So it's pretty cool to be part of a group of uh, people, like-minded people like that. Yeah. Yeah. Were, were any of those influences early on? Um, did any of the feedback you got on your early versions of it kind of, mold how you changed the the vasa over the years how many versions did you actually have before you brought it to market what was that process like well okay so it's kind of a funny story and i'll i'll be try to be as quick as i can and give you the reader's digest condensed version but uh so the very first vasa trainer that i created in 1988 was you know all of all of the products that i've you know been involved with creating came the root root of them came from seeing a problem that I my creative um ideas I thought could solve that problem. So the very first Vasa trainer was actually designed uh as a result of working with cross-country elite cross-country skiers and biathletes. And in the early 80s, you relate to this because of swimming, but in the early 80s, um the only technique in Nordic skiing was it's now called classic skiing, or it's a diagonal stride. If you've ever seen anybody use, a, you know, a Nordic track machine, or even just walking on a treadmill, swinging your arms forward and backwards, that's the motion that was the the technique for classic Nordic skiing. And then in the early '80s, uh, actually, a fellow Vermonter, you may have heard of Bill Koch, was one of the first Olympic medalists in for the U.S. in Nordic skiing, and he innovated skating on skis it's now called freestyle skiing and freestyle skate skiing and the we studied the biomechanics uh, and the propulsive forces of doing of skating on skis versus the old classic style and a lot more energy and a lot more propulsion came from the upper body basically from the hip flexors up so I, de I developed this vasa trainer that instead of laying down the one that people are familiar with is you lay down and you you do, you simulate a swimming stroke or a surf paddling stroke. But the very first one, you actually were straddling a rail, not unlike being on a, a bicycle, you know, with the, the center post in the middle, but it was the monorail that was in the middle. And so when you, when you did a double pulling motion, which is, you know, reaching forward, pulling down and backwards, the whole seat carriage would go up this incline monorail and then you'd lower yourself back down. So works great still works great after all these years but the nordic ski market was pretty small and we were late to the market 
And so basically I was scratching my head going, man, I've got a lot of product here. I've got to sell. Thankfully, when I was inventing that first product, I had also made it so that you could swap out the, the bike seat portion and put a padded bench that you lay down on yeah. and do swimming motion. <laughs> so um, we, in 19, I believe it was early 1990, we took it to the American Swim Coaches um, Conference in Pittsburgh and three coaches in particular came over and they were going nuts over the Vasa trainer, which it looks similar to the one that we make now, although it was still way too big. And, um, but they went nuts and I had no idea who they were. And they each, each of them ordered multiple machines right there on the spot. So I, I said to my, my, uh, it was my brother-in-law actually who went to help me at this clinic, you know, cause I didn't, we didn't know what we we're doing. And I said, I think maybe we're onto something. And when I looked at the the program for the clinic or for the conference, those three guys were all Olympic coaches. And you may be familiar <laughs> with the name. Uh, well, he's he's now passed on Richard Quick. And he was at Texas and then was at Stanford, Stanford for a long time. And then North Thornton, who was at UC Berkeley, he coached yeah. Matt Biondi famously. Yeah. He's passed on, unfortunately. And then Richard Schulberg, who was a famous coach at Germantown Academy and outside of Philadelphia. And one of my favorite people, and he's still alive. And um, those three guys went absolutely bonkers. They said, you know, where where have you been? We've been looking for something like this for 10 years. And, you know, and one of the things I loved about it was that you could, you, the, you could, you know, anchor your, your hand, your pulling paddle, if you will, and pull your body past that point because you, when you pull on the straps, your whole body on that's laying on the rolling bench just goes up an incline, and then you have to use control to lower yourself back down, which worked not just the stroke path, but it worked the eccentric muscles of of that stroke path. So you get the concentric pulling and the eccentric lowering of your body back down using the the right stroke path yeah. that that good swimmers would use. And um, so the rest is history because we kind of, even though we kept making the Nordic machine for a little while, it, we pretty much just switched over to the Vasa trainer. Wow. And then, yeah. So that's incredible. Like that, I, I, I love hearing these stories about how someone would pivot something into different markets or different uses. And this one sounded like it was just it was gold. It was perfect to have those guys. Yeah, you know, you've, you've probably heard that the definition of luck that I, that I like the best is luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. Yeah, yeah. So we were prepared, but the opportunity was being in the right place where these coaches discovered us, and and then it just sort of slowly took off from there. Yeah, and it's it's in I'm you know now, but. They were excited about that that anchoring of the hand um, concept because that's been around since the the '60s when Doc Councilman started to to do research and started to to bring up that that concept. And then again, it was reiterated in the '80s with Ernie Muglisco and some yeah. other coaches. And it was just every swim coach at the time was looking for you know this concept, which is extremely abstract. But when you actually put someone on the Vasa, it's like that's exactly what it does and just like you said it works not just in the 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 
correct motion, but the eccentric reverse motion, which my coaches make me do thousands of reps on, on the Vasa or on a band in that same, in that same pattern over and over and over again. And it had everything to do with technique for me when I first was introduced to it. Um, which, uh, you know, my listeners know that that's kind of where I focus everything. It's technique first and then fitness second, but you can do them simultaneously as well. Um, and Vasa is probably the best tool that I've seen that does both, um, simultaneously, um, which is really cool. You know, I, I think that the other side of kind of the business side, and then we'll move on to some of the, the technical stuff, but, um, I'm always curious, you know, you know, early nineties, pre-internet, you go to this conference, how else did you get the word out? You know, I, was it all <laughs> word of mouth? Like, were you calling gyms up? Because now they're in almost every gym around the world that I that I visited. Right. Thanks. Well, before the internet, um, the the we we were have always been a direct marketing company, and the way that we conducted ourselves was um, a sort of a classic um, way called the two step direct marketing, where you either you place an ad or you go to an expo or a clinic like that, or um, maybe you could buy a mailing list back in those days. You know, like we could go to the American swim coaches and say, could we buy, could we rent your mailing list and we'll send out a flyer to all the, all of your coaches. Right. So that's the first of the two steps. And so they would, they would see our marketing materials advertisement or a flyer or, see us in person and then they'd raise their hand and say i want a little bit more information or in some cases they would say i want to buy that thing but so then we would mail them a, a pretty big brochure package and you may remember those days when you you know if you signed up for a big ticket item they'd probably send you a a packet of information in the, yeah. in the mail yeah well so that's how we did it and um you you know you just you you track what what's working and what doesn't work and you you add a little more um kerosene to the fires that are burning bright and then you you douse the other ones that don't work well and yeah yeah and you just kind of keep growing you're growing that way and word of mouth has always been huge and that's one of the biggest compliments in my opinion because uh when people tell other people about your product or your service or what have you genuinely on their own without any prompting from anybody else that tells you that you're doing something right and you're helping other people serving other people in the right way. So yeah, that's word great. of mouth has always been big. So it, it, it helps me confirm how I run my business as well. It's great to see someone that has been in it so long say that. Uh, what do you think, has been kind of like your greatest struggles over the years, um, either with design or engineering or even marketing or, or really uh, anything. And, and how have you dealt with it? Sure. Great, great question. I mean, um, so, you know, to me, the problem solving and creating, you know, innovating and creating either new products or making improvements to old products I mean, to me, that's really fun and the most entertaining. So that part has never really been a big challenge for me. Um, I think the biggest challenge for me personally, being a creative guy and 
you know, really in love with ideas and problem solving and stuff like that is that, you know, you can have that. And also I was trained, trained as a sports physiologist. And so I, I, I also bring the science and the, and all of that into my, into my writing and into my coaching and, and even into the product development, you know, to try to make them better. So, but to the challenge of all of this is that you can have all the technical expertise in the world, um, but running a business is very different. And I, something I could, I like to use analogies a lot. So if you think about, you know, let's say a soccer team and you got two soccer teams and you got 11 people per side, 11 players per side, right? So each of those players has an assignment, right? They have a position to play. They have an assignment. Now they might cross over and cover for each other. And that's good that, you know, it's good. So if you use that analogy and say, okay, to your team of people in your company, there's, you're going to have your salesperson, you're going to have your marketing people, you're going to have production and inventory management, you're going to have bookkeeping, um, research and development, you know, these different departments if, or positions on the field, if you think of it that way. But most people go, or many people, they go into a business and start a business with some kind of a technical expertise and maybe a loose awareness that you also have to cover all those other positions on the field somehow. And you either hire people to do it or you subcontract people to do it, like a bookkeeper or an accountant or a lawyer. Those are the best ones to subcontract, in my opinion. And then you also need to get people on the team working well together. And, and you know, some cross-training to help each other, but also just working really well together. So I would say the biggest challenge for me was, first of all, coming to that awareness. And second, um, you know, maintaining decent leadership to, to keep everybody working together and keep the team working better because I don't particularly like that part of it. So yeah. that's probably the, that's the biggest challenge for me is because I don't gravitate toward things that I don't really have interest in, but I recognize that it needs to be done. And so, you know, you can, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to decide, you know, are you going to continue in this role as the, as the founder and still be the CEO and the, the leader of the company? Or you're going to find people, find someone great who assumes that role and you advise and guide and do what you're best at. So, you know, to me, I add the most value to my company by being innovative and creating and finding and also trying to find the right people to be in the right seats on the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a team effort at the end of the day to put out the, the product that you put out today. I mean, it's... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's very cool. So, so kind of changing gears a little bit, how did you enter the surf world and when did the surf world kind of, it was more the surf world knocked on your door that, Hey, <laughs> this thing's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, again, in, in, in sort of the same vein as word of mouth, how word of mouth works. Right. Um, so apparently I, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, Sam George, who was the editor of surfer magazine and, what, a, what an amazing, incredible guy he is. You know, I mean, I, I only met him a couple of times, but amazing guy. And so 
apparently he had injured his Achilles heel in probably like, this would have been around 1994, 1995 or something. And he, um, he, he must've, I think he called one of my people, one of my marketing people and asked if he could borrow a Vasa trainer. Um, and he was going to write a review about it, which he ended up doing. Um, and, but he also wanted to use it during this rehabilitation phase. So anyway, fast forward, he, 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 about a year later, the phone started ringing off the hook and it was all these surfer guys. And I'll never forget my employees saying like, there's all these surfer dudes calling like, who are these guys anyway? And, and uh, so we got to the, we asked somebody, one of the people that called and we said, how'd you hear about us? And they said, Oh, well, it's, it's in surfer magazine, the Sam George surf tip article. So we looked it up, we called up Sam and said, what's going on? You know? And he said, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that we, you know, we published this, this article and uh surfer magazine was quite big back then. I don't know if it's still, if it's still as big, it's more of a web-based uh, site now, but anyway, long story short, they discovered us. And as Sam pointed out in that original surf tip article, I'm sure things have changed for surfers now, but he said that most surfers didn't necessarily think of themselves as athletes like swimmers think of themselves like athletes or triathletes. And, you know, he had originally heard about the Vasa trainer through a triathlon friend of his who had one. He tried it a couple of times and that's what, that's what got him to call us and ask if he could, you know, borrow one or take one on loan. And so anyway, that's sort of the story about surfing and, um, you know, we, we got a lot of momentum early on with surfers and then it just has continued um, sort of this very quiet niche market that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it must have like that call must have been so weird for all of your people because they're probably thinking of like um, fast times at Ridgemont High, you know, surfers <laughs> and, and all these guys are calling up saying, hey, I want to work out. I want to use this. And it's it kind of shifted everyone's paradigm uh, yeah. about, you know, what a surfer is. And, and to kind of update you, Surfer Magazine was always huge. Um, it has, it is more web-based now. The magazine's gone. Some other magazines have kind of picked up where it's left off digitally, but major influence. And Sam has been a major influence and in voice in the, in, in our culture. Um, yes. So I, I'm not surprised that you started getting a ton ton of calls and just the the evolution that surfers have gone through it used to be now we're not really athletes it's a lifestyle thing you know this is we're hardcore we don't really work out but um there's been a few pro surfers over the year that have really kind of ratcheted up the the sports side of things and have taken it more seriously um and on top of that you have now this, uh, I like to say it's kind of the beginnings of surf science research. And right. it was around the early 2000s, the late 90s is when I started seeing just little bits of research because I've always been doing studying the swim research and the technique over the years. And then every once in a while, you see little little dots of surf science and, and it's really come on in, uh, in the, the last decade. Um, and Vasa has actually been, and I don't know if you know this, but Vasa has been a huge part of those early studies because oh, yes, it's, yeah. it's quite difficult to study being in water, 
right? There's, there's, you know, you always have this air and water situation in the Vasa was always a nice stable platform. Um, it was consistent. It was neutral. Um, yeah. And just to kind of give you some background in, in that I've of research studies that I found um, university of Western Australia back in 2005 used it um, or an erg machine, which some of them actually said Vasa out of Vermont. And then some of them said right. an erg machine, you know, yeah. Um, there was, uh, Griffith university in 2010 CSU San Marcos here in Southern California, who I, I get to work with every once in a while. They, they focus mostly on the meta metabolic measurements and heart rate. Right. Um, uh, there was, uh, over in Spain, even Auckland, New Zealand had it in, uh, in the early 2010s. Um, and then even over in the UK. And then, of course, there's even more on swimming, you know, even the predecessors sure. of those studies. So, I mean, just thinking about how it's being used in science to benefit not only technique, but fitness and this, you know, right. not even surfing, but but swimming and surfing as a whole. Kind of what are your thoughts on this and, and how does it make you sure. feel? Well, first of all, let me clarify something that, you know, the 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 model that the Vasa trainer model that Sam George discovered and started using we we call it currently we call it the Vasa Trainer Pro, and that's that works very much like well, it works exactly the same as the one I described um, that the early swim coaches found, where you're pulling your body past your hand. Quite a few of the research articles that I've seen that mention using Vasa is uh, they're using our swim ergometer and the swimming ergometer model, which came out in two thousand and four, late two thousand and four think if people want to visualize what that looks like or how it works it's think of um uh a rowing machine for swimming so you're you know you're, you're still laying prone you, you can lay supine if you want to on your back but you when you reach forward and you pull um on the paddles or the handles it they pull these cords that that make a fan wheel inside the front of the machine they make that fan wheel go around and it's that air brake resistance, which is, we also have some very sophisticated electronics that feed force data into the power meter that comes with the machine, the display monitor that comes with the ERG. So it's very different than the one that Sam George was using, because that one's, well, that one works really great for developing specific strength. And you can use it for endurance too, if you set the resistance low enough. And you can do like 200 exercises with the with the trainer pro the swimmer is oriented a lot more toward simulating the feeling and the and the physical requirements of pulling through water so just like when you're laying on your surfboard and if you pull you know your 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 hand and paddle blade if you will is pulling through water um it's a very similar resistance air brake resistance is is really great for that versus say other types of resistance and um, so I'm not sure what else to say there, but that it's, it's important to clarify the difference. And I think those uh, research studies were able to, depending on what they were trying to find out, this the using the swimmer for the studies um, is much better for like metabolic uh, requirements of surfing, maybe not so much for measuring um, like, strength output but you could measure power output and you can also measure things like your power output um 
if you can sustain that, because when fatigue sets in, then the amount of power you can deliver to your, your paddle blades, your arms really diminishes off. And, and so I think that's part of some of the studies we're looking at that as well as your ability to sustain that paddling and the swimmer paddling on the swimmer is very, very similar to paddling your board in the water. Um, from from as near as near as I can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a propulsion point of view, and like you said, the the feeling of the air resistance, it's it's much closer. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean it's, it's not so the funny. same balance. It's, it's nowhere right. near the same balance, you know, laterally and stuff like that. But yeah. but yeah. Well, and then and that's like, you know, what I teach half of it, the first half is reducing drag, which you know, really any any strength program you can't you can't simulate that on land, but the setup of being able to reduce drag that moves into propulsion, uh, there it's perfect for that. And it's right. so funny. It's, you know, one of the, one of the studies was two reliable protocols for assessing maximal paddling performance in surfboard riders back in 2010 by Griffith university. And, uh, and using the erg, the swimmer Vasa, and I believe they actually even spoke about Vasa in there was one of the two protocols. And so from that study on, it just kind of lit all these additional studies and say, okay, we're going to use this protocol for these, these measurements. And I thought that's, I think that's so cool to, you know, not only affect people that are using it recreationally to improve their sport and their performance, but also be kind of a foundation in science to help these researchers provide evidence for certain right. techniques, you know? And I, I don't know, being, I feel like surf science, and I've said this before on the show, surf science today is really in its infancy. Um, it's kind of like we're back in the 60s for swimming. You know, mm -hmm. that was when the first studies kind of started to come out and everyone's kind of right. fumbling through it. We luckily can look at some of the swim stuff and kind of leverage some of it to come up with new ideas. Sure. And, and the, the, the problem has been, um, the problem has been is this is not having the tools available um, with a surfboard. And so funny, the Voss is like so perfect for that. One of them said that they, uh, it, it was, they made modifications to the erg was, was one of their statements. And really all it is, they put a surfboard on that bench. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great idea because the rails are a little wider than our padded bench. Right, right, right. It's and and it's so interesting because that's one of the things. One of the techniques I run into is when you have long boards which are wider versus short boards which are narrower. Um, you have one of the major issues people have is when they go from wide to narrow, they still have the wide stroke. Sure. And um, as you know through coaching uh, swimmers, if you're going out wide and you're doing the propulsive strokes wide, you're actually not tapping into the fullest potential of your power muscles. Uh, instead of having it in front of your shoulder, which is more physiologically strong for humans. Right. Um, right. And so it's, I love that ability to kind of move out, move in. You know, if I were to make a modification to it is is be able to take that pad that you have on there and, and widen it or, or narrow it, right? Have little extensions or something like that. But there's, I mean, those are the little things that like I get excited right. about with, with these kinds of... Uh, with yeah. these kinds of tools. Well, there's other ways to, to accomplish what you just said, which is like one of the things that we recommend um, is imagine if you're, if you're laying on the swimmer and you can look down at the floor 
if you if you put some uh you can just use colored masking tape but if you ran colored masking tape that's parallel to the monorail but on either side of the monorail and in in the direction of your stroke path right you can depending on someone's shoulder width or how wide you want their pull to be let them let their fingertips trace that line now they won't touch the line because they're way above it by a foot or two but they can they can visualize and see oh i need my fingertips need to trace that line right so now you've got the stroke path that you want them to do and to your point about if they're if they're pulling too wide it's also very likely when they pull they also may be almost doing like a slight S pull or something coming toward a center line, like toward the center line of the board. If they do that, <clears throat> that means their board is going like this, mm -hmm. right? It's going, it's shimmying side to side. Yeah, That's more drag. If they also don't have the consciousness, which this is something they can practice on, on the Vasa, but if they're not being conscious about maintaining a long and taut body line from head to toe, I mean, it's not quite the same with surfing because you got to look up and all of that. But but think of those like from your toes all the way out through your core, making your core and your torso really taut and strong. They're gonna they're gonna reduce the drag. But if they're loosey goosey on their board, then there's gonna be way more drag. Yeah, yeah, and less and, power output. Yeah, I yeah. I like to use an analogy. Uh, I, I, we we talk about it for swimmers in in, in triathletes, but. Um, if P if the listeners can picture, um, let's say we're standing on the beach and the water's calm and you've got a carbon fiber kayak that's pointing directly out to sea, perpendicular to the beach, right? And you push the end of that carbon fiber kayak, that baby glides, right? It goes out there and it glides. Now take an inflatable kayak and do the same thing, right? So you push that inflatable kayak and then it goes like, you know, it's like it, it bombs out after about three feet. Yeah. So if you think of your body like that carbon fiber kayak versus the inflatable kayak, you want, you want your vessel that, that you're paddling, right? You want that thing to be long and taut as much as you can. And also, as you point out in some of your videos, balanced fore and aft, yeah. So that, or to a degree, so that your legs aren't sinking too much, and you're not creating all this extra drag. Which is all, so, which is all coming from the core, you know. Anyway, and that's right. Um, yeah. People, members of my my course know that the first two steps are all about that balance. You know that if yeah. you don't have that, you're not even gonna get. You're gonna you're gonna have more drag. To your point, uh, but also you're not gonna get the power. You're not gonna get that power output that your body could potentially have um and it'd be right. interesting to to study um or somehow mimic that on the vasa where you have kind of loosey-goosey core and and try to you know on the erg yeah. because it provides power output i'm sure you would see a difference oh you totally do and you can see it in the watts the on the power meter so like we we've seen this before when people are loosey goosey and they're not really tightening their core and making their legs you know long and taut and everything, and they'll pull uh, at a certain resistance setting on the erg and you look at their their watts and then you tell them all right I want you to tighten everything up or I want you also within the paddle stroke itself you know when 
when during the stroke do you accelerate that that pulling motion and then when do you get out like when do you exit the stroke so to speak with your hand um all of those things can influence the power output but it's it's pretty remarkable um what happens when people somehow tie their their torso and their core to i call it the catch and the pull um because when they when they get that connected all of that torso strength it's 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 like a torsional spring it's just right there ready to deliver a more power into the pulling stroke as well as you're accessing your lats if you do the right technique you're accessing the big muscles of the back and the core and that just translates into moving the board ahead more efficiently yeah yeah so, absolutely more effectively so would, like uh, yeah. yeah i mean we we're talking about technique cuz i'm a big technique nerd as well um what other kind of advantages or strengths do you think the Vasa brings for surfers? You know, there's, th that's an immediate thing that someone could test. They could hop on there. Their core could be all loose. They could pull for a minute, check the wattage and then tighten up and check the wattage. They'll easily see an improvement. Sure. So well, we could get all, you know, we could get all techie and tech weenie about this whole thing. But what I would say is, you know, my, I'm going to make a guess that the audience that's listening to this, they're, they're not aspiring to be an Olympic or even a pro surfer, right? But probably the thing that using a machine like ours or or, or even a, a variety of different um, pieces of exercise equipment that, that help them accomplish um, a level of fitness is that it, it affords the person the opportunity to stay consistent and keep building, right? So... There's a there's a diff, bunch of different ways to do that, and incorporating this the surf paddling specificity of of a Vasa machine, I I believe is really valuable, and we've got enough testimonials from you know surfers who say that. But you you still need to do uh, things for balance for your lower body for your core, all of those things in concert with it's not just you know doing the paddling specific training on a Vasa machine that's going to do it for you. But I will say this, and you know, I, I'm not a surfer. I, I've surfed a few times and I understand, you know, I think I understand the demands pretty much, but talking to other people like Sam George and lots of other people over the years, it, it's come to my, my attention that paddling out and then again, when you turn around and you're ready to catch the wave that you want. So you do that over and over again repeatedly, there is a level of fitness that's required in order to be able to do that, do that well and do what you need your body to do um, consistently. No different than an open water swimmer. They're gonna, they're gonna, they might get from point A to point B, you know, in a similar time as as before they started training, but they're gonna get there more efficiently. They're gonna spend less energy. For, from point A to point B, which a triathlete, that means they've got more energy for the bike and the run. Yeah. In the surfing world, it means if you show up, if you show up at the beach at your surf break or whatever, and you've been training consistently all week at home because you're landlocked and you can't get to the water, but you've got weekends and you can get there, right? Or if it's a surf vacation or something like that, and you've been keeping yourself fit, doing the right exercises, you know, many of which you've talked about in, in some of your... Um, 
you know, the things that I've, I've been seeing, um, then you're going to have a more enjoyable time. You're going to be able to surf safer, longer, not have that like crazy feeling of like a knife in the back of your neck, <laughs> you know, from, from not having paddled enough, you know, not having yeah. trained enough. So it's really comes down to the, the choice of the surfer, like how prepared would they like to be? Yeah. You know, how much do they want to enjoy? Of course, when you're a young buck, you don't give a hoot as much, but when you start to get a little bit older and you're chasing kids around at home or you're working at a desk job, you know, it's a real thing because you could get out there and you could get hurt. And then you're not surfing for quite a while because yeah. you, you weren't, your body wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're spot on. Um, my stories of also working with clients, I've actually had a few video coaching sessions with people that, that live in Colorado or, or Wyoming, or um, I've had one uh, in New York who's more inland. And these guys, they have bosses in their basements or in their house. And I've worked with them just on technique and then a little bit on some of the fitness side of things. And they're, those guys are a perfect example of what you're talking about, where they're not surfing as often as, say, me. You know, I'm about 30 minutes from the coast, and I, I surf almost every day. But they're surfing, you know, once a quarter, but they're going to better waves than me. I'll tell you that. And they want to be spot on. <laughs> they want to be ready, you know. And, sure. and, and it, you know, surfing, I've told other people this a lot, is it's 90% of it's paddling. And so if you may, if that part of it is is so so uh challenging for you then you're not going to enjoy the remaining 5 to 10% uh of the time which is actually riding that's surfing it's uh it's kind of named poorly it should be paddling with a little bit of standing okay. um Rob, but, I'm um, curious it, in, in yeah. your experience when someone starts to get like pretty fatigued from all the paddling out the 90% of paddling or whatever how does that affect their ability to ride once they catch the wave? Oh yeah, it fully affects it. You know, to the point where you know the first maneuver you could say is just getting to their feet, yeah. um, commonly known as the pop up. And and if you're paddling and you're using all upper body strength, and now you're trying to use upper body strength, and now you're engaging the core to swing your legs under you, that part's inaccurate and they fall or tumble and then their ride is one second long. And so their whole session is them just kind of wiping out and paddling. Once they're riding, let's say they do get to their feet. Now they're riding and they're using a lot more core and twisting in legs now than the upper body. And on two separate occasions, they've studied that the highest heart rate actually occurs when they kick out of a wave. So it's uh -huh. not when they're paddling out, it's not when they're catching a wave, but it's when they're done with the wave. And now a lot of surfers, and, and this is something I tell a lot of my clients, like, hey, you know, just take a moment, lower that heart rate and then pedal out. But, you know, most surfers will immediately start paddling back out. And so now they're just elevating that heart rate, heart rate, heart rate, heart rate, heart rate. Sure, and if sure. fitness is not there, then their performance, you know, exponentially decreases. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So that makes me think about, something I have never thought about this before, except in other sports. So I'll get, again, I'll use a, a similar or an analogy, not really an analogy, but just like a, a parallel story. So if, if I put my cross country skis on and jump in the tracks and I just start going for it, right? Well, physiologically, and I know this as, a, as an exercise physiologist, 
you know, my body has not warmed up. And within a couple of hundred meters, I will have accumulated what's called an oxygen debt, right? Then I'm going to have to pay that debt. Or I've got, la it's a bunch of lactic acid, waste products, all this other stuff that's built up really quickly. Whereas if I start out very slowly and ease my way into it, get my body warmed up, especially the muscles used in propulsion, if I get those warmed up, then I'm not going to have that terrible um, oxygen debt. I used to call it for Nordic skiers. That's a, it's that bear that jumps on your back, right? And you got to carry that bear around the track the rest of the time, right? I would imagine for surfers, if they if they kick out of a wave and they start paddling hard right away, now they got a walrus on their back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you got it. It's exactly okay. the same. And it's funny because even swimmers that transition to surfing will still experience that because it is slightly different with the balance. Uh, sure, uh, sure. And, and the other movements. Um, but I love that. I love that analogy, a walrus. Um, <laughs> it's so funny though, because, you know, I, I brought up the the three clients that I've coached virtually using Vasa that are more inland, but I would argue that that, same argument applies to people that live five or 10 minutes from the beach uh, and that can't access the water easily. They can't go out for a paddle. You know, if you figure at least here in Northern California, you always got to put a wetsuit on and off and it's easily yeah. 10 minutes added. So let's say I have, let's say I have, uh, if I live right at the beach and I have a half hour to surf, I actually only have 20 minutes to surf. Right. Right. And so, you know, that's usually not even the case. If I'm, Right now I'm 30 minutes from the beach. If I have an hour, that's just my travel time. Sure. Right. And so I could look at it, go, well, I got an hour. Um, for me, I have a lagoon, so I go paddle, but let's say I don't have that. Like hopping on a Vasa for 20 minutes would keep things, as you said, consistent. Sure. And it keeps thing that, that base level foundation much higher and might, could even improve it with just, just some general consistency so that when you do get back in the water, cause life happens, as you said, yeah. we, have, we got jobs, we got families, it's really tough, but being able to just hop on and hop off, getting something good for at least 20, 30 minutes, uh, right. whether it's fitness or technique, you're keeping that base and it's, and sure. that's the first thing to go, you know, when yeah. you're not in water. Um, so I, I, I would argue for, uh, the people listening, like if they're like, Oh, you know, I live near the coast. I'm not an inland surfer. It's like, no, you could benefit from something like this on a consistent basis because of just the way life is right. When right, you, right. If you have 20, 30 minutes, you can hop on one of these. You could easily find 20, 30 minutes at some point during the day. And if you end up being able to surf that same day, that's, that's even better for you, you know? So. Yeah. You make a good point, Rob. In fact, we have, I've had reports from, um, various masters swimmers and triathletes in particular some surfers too but they'll you you don't need you can still be in your your pajamas if you want to or your underwear <laughs> and you you can hop on for 10 10 15 minutes right then go do your shower go to work do your thing and then a little bit later in the day do another 10 or 15 minutes yeah. and it it all counts it all adds up and they say that it really makes a big difference having that convenience i would also assert that if someone wants to think about the pain points for, for when they're actually surfing, when they get to go to the water, like really pay attention. What are the pain points? What are the things that get in the way of you surfing better or longer or feeling more 
comfortable or safe, whatever, whatever the pain points are for those people and address those with your at-home workout program, whether you have a VASA or not, doesn't matter to me. What I want is people to have more fun doing their sport and be safe doing their sport and be able to do it until they're 90, you know, or whatever. But like, so it's, you know, your, your requirements are going to change over the years, but there's still the fundamentals of, uh, you, you know, you got, you've got paddling power and paddling endurance. You have all the core and torso exercises that, that, you know, you've been, you've taught, taught and teach with your program, you know, lower body with legs, you know, for balance, for agility, for strength and, and, and endurance ability to, you know, keep riding. They need to incorporate two or three exercises for each body group there and get them done. Do, yeah. do it three times a week, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I I I profess this all the time and you've mentioned it. It's consistency is key, you know, with a lot of this. It's just do it for you know, if you do sure. it every day. If you if it's 20 minutes a day, that's better than one two hour session on the weekend. Um, it's that consistency that we need. There's a there's a great expression that I learned from uh, somebody else, but you got to take. People need to be conscious in, the, in in our society these days, where we we spend a lot of time seated at a desk, at a car, watching television, going out to eat, or sit you know sitting with dinner, sitting 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 right. Yeah. So you got to be conscious about the countermeasures for sitting. And get ed, you know educate yourself about what are the what are the countermeasures that you need to take as an individual surfer, individual athlete, whatever you want to call yourself, that are going to allow you to enjoy your sport more, yeah, and longer, yeah, yeah. It's it's frustrating for for surfers to to not train and then get out and get injured, like you said, or or they just have a bad session because they're so exhausted. And with yeah. surfing, there's even an added element of scarcity because it's not like you can go and shoot hoops for an hour, right? And get that rep over and over and over again. Every wave is different oh. and there's a crowd and there's right. limited number of waves. And so, you know, you give yourself an hour to surf, two hours of surf, you might get 10, 15 waves and that's a good day. And they're all going to be different. And your ability to progress in surfing is very challenging when you're limited to that. Okay. Even more yeah. so if your paddling's terrible, right? Because you're going to get maybe five waves, if that, in a two-hour sure. session, which is crazy. Sure. You know, uh, that, Much more difficult to excel. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it quite that way because I'm not close to you know the realities of surfing like you are. I hadn't thought about that. The number of it's, it's, that's like me saying like, well, I can only go out in Nordic ski X number of days a year because we don't have snow for the rest of the time. Not even that Rob, it'd be like, you have five minutes to go Nordic ski. That's all you get. Yeah. And, yeah, right. and, 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 and half the time, half the track you have to get out and, and, and walk on dirt and then put them back on like in the little patches of snow. That's, that's how rare it is. It's, it's wild. Oh, that's a, that's a great visual. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you. Uh, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. I had a blast talking and I'm sure this won't be the last time that we talk. Um, and I, I think that, I think the listeners learned a bit uh, from you and I hope that they, they feel 
motivated to go grab a Vasa or at least try one uh, at their local gym to see if it's it's for them. I think it's for every surfer. Uh, but uh, I appreciate well, your time. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Rob. Thank you. And it, it's been a pleasure to, to talk with you. Anytime, just let me know. Awesome. You, you take me Nordic skiing, I'll take you surfing. That sounds great. You're going to have to fly out to Vermont, though. <laughs> I, you know, I spent five winters in New Hampshire. I was really close to you for a bit. So oh, I got to try cross-country skiing, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It is quite the workout. It, well, it's, you know, it's the most demanding sport in the world for in terms of your um, cardiovascular conditioning. And rowing is a close second. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was competitive incredible. rowing, competitive skiing, Nordic yeah. skiing. It was incredible. We went up to, it was actually a place in Vermont. We went to, uh, no, it was in Maine. We went to, uh, um, uh, it was a, it was a cross country kind of clinic and it started at midnight in the winter <laughs> and it was like minus five. And I was like, I had every piece of clothing on just to stay warm. And I was shedding that as fast as I could within five minutes. I mean, it was yes. incredible how, how fast anyway. Yeah, I'll 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 take on that challenge. You you I'll reintroduce you to some surfing and uh and we'll take it from there. Sound sound good? Yeah, yeah. You, you want me to tell you one one funny Sam George story before we go? Yes, yes, please. So so he had written that article and um it just so happened it was coincidental, but uh maybe a year later or whatever, I was in Southern California and my friend Ray Browning, the guy who co-authored uh serious training for endurance athletes with me we were there on business doing something right so i said oh, i'd really like to meet this guy sam george in person and thank him for writing that article because it was so profound so we go to the surfer magazine offices in dana point and you know they they bring us into sam he's sitting there in his office um in blue jeans and a hawaiian shirt and barefoot right and so we i we literally like shook hands and talked for 20 seconds and he goes you guys want to go surfing <laughs> and we had never been right so we go yeah hell yeah we'll go and so he took us down to uh i think it was san onofre or something like that and you know he had us outfitted in wetsuits and he had a training a foam training board that we could use and uh you know both of us were pretty fit but ray was a professional triathlete so he gets on that board that training board and he was like turbocharged paddling that thing out there. And I wasn't even close to, to what he could do with with the paddling, but I'll never forget that because Sam, you know, he, he like taught us, he hung onto the back of the board and he helped us get up and catch these little dinky waves. And we actually got to ride a few waves. It was so fun. That's awesome. And I love that. That, that is the culture of surfing. It's the aloha of surfing, trying to pass it on and, I absolutely love that story. Thanks for sharing that. And, and yeah. again, thanks for your time, Rob. That was awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Take right, care. Take, yeah, take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.